Welcome, fellow explorers. My name is Christian Alexanderson, and this is Hemlocks to Hellbenders, a podcast highlighting Pennsylvania's parks, forests, and great outdoors. The Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources is a gigantic operation. As the largest public landowner in the Commonwealth, DCNR manages millions of acres of land, including 124 state parks and 20 state forests. But it doesn't end there. DCNR also manages everything on those millions of acres. There's the buildings, education centers, campgrounds, museums, playgrounds, yurts, pools, cabins, lakes, and parking lots. And then there's the hiking trails, bike paths, kayak launches, ATV trails, overlooks, and vistas. The list goes on and on and on. With a staff of nearly 1,400 full-time and 1,300 seasonal employees, DCNR must cover the day-to-day operations of these lands and facilities while also planning for the next 20 to 50 years. It's an incredible amount of work that seems almost impossible to address. Luckily, we have someone leading the way. Someone who loves our public lands and inspires us to love them too. Someone who's as comfortable paddling in the Susquehanna River as they are in a room full of lawmakers. Someone who listens and learns. Someone whose compassion and respect guides their leadership. A true Pennsylvanian. A true public servant. I'm excited to welcome Secretary Cindy Adams Dunn to the podcast. Cindy is the Secretary of the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Secretary, thanks so much for joining the program. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up, your family, how you came to love the outdoors? I grew up in a rural area north of Harrisburg, Fishing Creek Valley. At the time, it was very rural. Um, I was allowed to walk to the top of both mountains in that valley. I was allowed to uh, explore the creek, look for crayfish, wander freely uh, with the only instruction I had to be home for supper. So I I had uh, free reign in the outdoors. I, I loved that kind of exploration. And for family outings, we would go camping, uh, fishing at a nearby state park, boating on the Susquehanna in a, uh, in a small motorboat, hiking um, in the fall, particularly hawk watching. So I was just really fortunate to have parents uh, who, who took us outdoors. And it was particularly my father, he had an avid interest in the outdoors. He grew up in the Johnstown area where a lot of the environment at the time he grew up had been really uh, pretty ruined by uh, you know, the, pre, you know, the pre-regulatory coal mining. And he really appreciated clean water and, and forested mountains and took us outside a lot. And my mother uh, was will- willing to uh, help with hiking and picnicking and camping. And I just, I felt very fortunate to have that kind of a childhood. And it's something I really uh, wish everyone had uh, some flavor of. You joined DCNR in the mid-1990s, holding numerous roles within the department. What changes have you seen within the department and how it operates? Well, DCNR was brand new in the mid-90s. It was formed uh, in this current formation by the split of the old Department of Environmental Resources. And so it was set up anew with a fresh look at what was needed and and. Uh, we followed the pattern set up then. It was really strongly tied to our constitutional right to clean air, clean water, access to the natural environment. Um, it was built up in principles of stewardship, partnership, and service. And those principles carry forward to this day. They still speak strongly to our work, but a lot has changed in uh, the way our work is done and the way the mission is perceived by the public. Back in the 90s, things like protecting biodiversity were controversial. And today, uh, people understand the need to protect nature and, and all its elements. Uh, some of the programs we've developed in DCNR to help people understand that have really gone a long way to assuaging people's fears about what conserving nature and, and biodiversity means. 
Also in the 90s, there was an aversion in some parts of the state to land conservation, to conserving land for the public. And today, any public opinion poll on conserving open space and land ranks very high with the public. And that's across party lines, across the spectrum of uh, conservatives to more liberal progressive people. People understand the need for land that's not developed. Now, there's still occasional cases where something will pop up that people object to, but basically public's interest in preserving parks, trails, open spaces is pretty, um, you know, it's come to the forefront more. And I think the public has uh, got a, a renewed appreciation and engagement with recreation. You know, in the 90s, I think people saw recreation as just a, a nice-to-have thing. I mean, it was it was always important for those close to the mission and always local governments and legislators and, and others who understood its value. But today, um, there's a broad public understanding of the value of the outdoors and recreation and access and trails and parks. So the the agency's mission has really risen, I, I believe, in the public's view and understanding of its value. It's funny too because I'm going to be hitting 40 in a couple of years, so I would I would have thought preservation, the importance of outdoor recreation, would have been something that would have been figured out in the 70s. But it's even into the 90s here in Pennsylvania, they're still like, well, it's nice to have, but is it necessary? Exactly, and that's not. I mean, there always have been people who really really lived that mission and cared. And but when the state park system was created in the 70s, 80s, there was a big surge of interest in camping and picnicking. Uh, at that in that era. You know, people people were struggling financially, uh, having a public lands to picnic and and swim. Uh, we would get high visitation state parks when the state park system was fully engaged. And I think some of the trends that happened after that, uh, people building their backyard swimming pools, people seeing a more diminished uh, role for recreation. And then uh, over time, since the '90s, and then particularly injected by the COVID pandemic, people have. Uh, really seen the value in recreation. And now it's understood more by more people in its full dimension of its value, health, mental health, uh, fitness, wellness, um, quality of life, economy, uh, property values, you name it. Um, it's just risen in people's estimation of value. And that's been really helpful to our mission and really, frankly, helped us serve people. You've served as Secretary of DCNR since 2015. What's the day-to-day -day operations like for you? What responsibilities take up most of your time? Well, we're the largest landowner, and I, I say owner, but we're really the manager on behalf of the public. But as 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 the entity that holds the largest piece of real estate in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, things happen constantly. <laughs> Good things, bad things. Um, so so yeah, floods happen, you know, you know, infrastructure fails somewhere, people maybe get hurt, people get lost. Um, a fairly large staff, something happens to a staff person. So the day-to-day the -day is uh, quite lively. Um, but I always uh, strategically want to make a point to to spend some of my, if not every day, like some of my week on forward-looking work. It really, really takes some discipline to structure uh, some time for looking forward. And, and I also pay attention to partners. DCNR was uh, founded on the principle that included partnership. It was one of the three. And DCNR can't um, begin to accomplish our mission without partners. 
So we have to um, deliberately focus on key partnerships. I know one of them you've been involved with, Pennsylvania Park and Forest Foundation, and that's really our, our key you know, public lands partner where friends, groups, and volunteers assist with park and forest land, um, help tell our story, help, help make the case for our needs, help people connect directly. But across the state, we have we have dozens of partners. So it's, it's important in my job that I spend some time uh, with those partners. And of course, um, you know, major partner in our work is uh, the legislature. Um, they they represent the yeah you know, they they're elected by the people. So so answering our questions and spending time uh, you know, in, engaging with them on concerns and opportunities is something I do a lot of. So I get legislative calls or I initiate legislative calls, you know, pretty much every day. And then um, I like to spend time uh, on staff with staff and again day-to-day -day, it's hard, hard to describe day-to-day -day. it's more easy to look at like in a given week but want to spend some time uh, focused on our own staff because our service is delivered at the hands of other people in the front line and i always like to spend some time with that too so it's try to be um strategic and mindful uh it would be easy just to deal with the stuff that comes over the bow and and, and not not focus on you know overlooking, not focus on partners, not focus on staff, but it's it's critical to um, make a point of doing all that. What would you say the best and worst parts of your job are? Well, the uh, the best part, I mean, I can I can just think of you know days where like I'm at a ribbon cutting for like an urban playground and the kids are playing on a new playground or in a new park that we were able to fund. Um, you know, on, on the weekends, I spend a lot of time in state parks and forests and and i uh, you know just spending time in a park walking through a picnic area seeing people having good a uh, good time i get on the pine grove furnace a lot and there's a lot of multicultural families there walking through the picnic area smelling all the interesting wonderful smelling food people having fun laughing <laughs> uh, i like to kayak past the swimming area see people just just having a great time in the water goofing around splashing each other so that, I mean, just seeing people enjoy um, public lands, whether there are public lands or whether there are parks that we help fund or trails that we help fund, that's uh, the best. The best thing. Of course, some of the worst uh, days are when uh, someone, yeah, someone gets hurt badly or worse. Um, uh, you know, staff, staff issues and concerns can be can be a negative sometimes. You know, some of your staff are are struggling or suffering with something. And also it's the frustration when a um, member of the public or an elected official really doesn't understand the value uh, that we that we bring to a community that that minimizes or diminishes um, the value of of public lands or of uh, our programs. And so that's you know that's a challenge. So that you know that's kind of the the, the spectrum for me. Um, I love uh, love hearing. Uh, yeah, the governor, Governor Shapiro, described us in, the, in fullest dimension. So we, you know, it, again, people have this continuum of understanding of the value of public lands, parks, and forests. So when, when my staff or me hear, hear the governor talking about our value in terms of the future of Pennsylvania, the economy of Pennsylvania, the, the quality of life in Pennsylvania, when you know that, you know, an influential person like a governor or legislator understands that it never one does great things for staff around i've told governor shapiro he's he does a lot for my staff around because he talks about our work 
in the highest dimension and uh, the value it brings to the public. You know, mental health, physical health, addiction management, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that just that just gives a real boost to our morale and ego. And then, you know, like I said, conversely, when yeah, uh, when a public elected official just doesn't see it, uh, it's very frustrating. In addition to the time you spend outdoors for work, you also have a lot of outdoor hobbies. What do you like to do most in the outdoors? <laughs> That's hard to answer because uh, the thing I, I like doing most is the thing I'm doing at that moment. Um, yeah, so I, I hike, and of course it's. In fall now, I'm you know hiking's big on my mind right now because I'll I'll spend a lot of time. I hike in the fall and winter and early spring a lot because the yeah the viewshed is greater when you're up in a mountain and you can see out. And uh, also, I don't like hiking when I'm really really hot. So this is uh, getting to be my hiking season. But I paddle a lot. I really uh, I really like canoeing and kayaking, and I combine it with bird watching. And lately. I've been getting back into fly fishing and combining my canoeing with fly fishing, which, you know, as a klutz, that doesn't always go well, <laughs> but, uh, but sometimes I'm, I'm kind of doubling down on some of my hobbies here, like, uh, yeah, fishing and canoeing and bird watching and canoeing. So uh, I like floating down the Susquehanna or the Connor to win it, um, you know, watching birds. And that's always great. Uh, like, um, you know, paddling, paddling around the lake, just, uh, looking at people or looking at um, birds or scenery. So no, I, I just love uh, time in the outdoors. Um, I, I try to do, I try to do it a lot. And I love stopping by, uh, you know, just popping into a park or forest or trail, um, just checking it out. As an overheated hiker, I totally appreciate that as well. Uh, <laughs> fall is always my, my big year. Every weekend is a trip. Every weekend is another campsite. And it's, it's great that you bring up uh, hiking in the winter or doing things in the winter because a lot of people, even people that are just now getting into the outdoors or even people who have been outdoors for a long time, they kind of see winter as like, all right, everything shuts down. I'm no longer doing anything. State parks, state forests, they're still open. There's yeah. still plenty to do. You can go ice fishing. You can go snowshoeing. There's tons of things you can do. You know, that's a good point. And you can, you know, pay, pay a little more attention to safety in the winter. You should pay attention to that all the time. But, you know, have a map, know where you're going, uh, you know, know how much time you plan to spend, have a plan, stick to it, tell someone where you are. Uh, but, uh, yeah, read up on dressing in layers if, if you don't know about that and um, have the right footwear. But I think winter hiking is the best because you're naturally warm when you're hiking. Uh, and it's a good way not to have that like hibernation feeling of winter. Yeah, good good way to get out hiking. So, I know you've you've gone to all the state parks and and uh, have you run or hiked or, or or both? I've I've run a mile in every state park, and now I'm going back and just actually getting to enjoy everything about each state park. So I've done a little bit of both now, finally. So that's neat. I mean, that's just a good uh, and that that can be a year round pursuit. I do notice the public misses a lot of the. Um, key seasons in state parks and forests you know you see the crowds in summer of course and then of course right now with the leaves putting on a beautiful show uh across the state it's coming to end in the north but you know putting on a beautiful show people come out to the parks and enjoy that but when people are in that um post labor day back to school time they miss a lot of time in parks it's just gorgeous mm -hmm. it's summer like warm uh, I, I just see the parks not being as full in those, in those off seasons. And then, of course, people miss the winter uh, in, in a way that, I mean, you can take a nice walk in one of the state park loops in the, in the wintertime and it, it can be completely comfortable. 
The Commonwealth added three new state parks in 2022. What did you see in those properties that made them an attractive addition to the state park system? Now, the Vosburgh Neck, I'll start with, because I had uh, paddled the North Branch Susquehanna many times, and uh, the Vosburgh Neck is spectacular. It's a big loop bend in the Susquehanna with a uh, high rock, a high cliff on one side and a peninsula on the other. And uh, it's a big feature, like when I'm sitting at my desk, I have a state map on the wall across the way. I can see it from my desk. I mean, it's, it's a big feature. And um, it's something that people, uh, a local county commissioner like years ago said to me, it should be a state park. Uh, locals up there had said, and uh, Senator Baker had said several times, this should be a state park. We didn't uh, have the money at the time. Um, and so when the money became available from Governor Wolf and we talked to him about it, and then that was a time to move on that. So that one was uh, really um, ripe to happen. And Big Elk uh, Creek State Park down in Chester County, we had been acquiring the land with the help from the Conservation Fund and other land trusts down that way over time and just managing it as uh, part of another nearby uh, park, White Clay. But it's different and unique than White Clay. White Clay goes to the Delaware Big Elk, goes right to Chesapeake Bay, interestingly, not to the Susquehanna. Uh, the landscape there um, has got the, the Mason-Dixon line on it. It's a, a place where freedom seekers from the South escaped slavery and came across the Mason-Dixon line. It's a uh, rolling grass hills and wooded valleys with trails. Um, in an area of the state that's uh, seen rapid growth, so it's uh, it'll serve uh, regionally and statewide. It'll be interesting. Plus, it 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 back to back with a large state park in Maryland, Fairhill, uh, on the south side of Mason Dixon is a large park. So it creates a large uh, public land mass that'll be great for nature, great for recreation, et cetera. It actually has a pretty good biodiversity as well. And then the Lower Susquehanna, we've been working and the lower Susquehanna River lands for a while. That that lower gorge of the Susquehanna between Lancaster and York County is some of the most spectacular land in the state. It's uh, the, the Susquehanna carves um, sort of a canyon going uh, south, and a lot of it had been preserved by the power companies as required by law. And then when they divested of the land, the, the Lancaster County Conservancy and DCNR and the two counties have uh, conserved land. So we've been uh, growing the, the conserved land base down there. Uh, it's important in those counties. They're highly developed and also highly agricultural. Lancaster County has the least of uh, forest land cover of any county in the state, for instance. But um, the, we saw an opportunity, Lancaster Conservancy saw an opportunity in Hellam Hills It's the next extension north and that area was under development pressure. And uh, a couple of parcels at Hellam Hill became available, including the one that became available that uh, ended up being Susquehanna Riverland State Park. It's a bluff that overlooks the Susquehanna. It's gorgeous. You can see um, up and down the river. It's right, um, right on, you know, right on the edge. It includes a section of the Cadoris Creek, which is a great paddle. It's actually a challenging uh, whitewater paddle. And then there's Cadora's Furnace, which uh, we've acquired the Iron Masters Mansion and are working on uh, on that. And that has historic relevance to the area that uh, we'll be talking about a lot. And the uh, you know the America 250 PA, it'll have uh, significance 
that the story will be told at the time of, um, you know, as we prepare for America 250PA and look at our nation's history. Uh, so anyway, there's a, there's a lot of history right there at Cadora's Furnace. And so it, it gave us a chance to tell that. But the con conservation of Hellam Hills that Lancaster Conservancy has initiated, uh, this allows us to have a, um, a, a part of that and have a place that everyone can go and enjoy um, Susquehanna Riverlands. While I've been to all three of them, I am really excited to see what Susquehanna Riverlands is going to be. I mean, uh, it's just there's a there's a great walk you can take to the overlook to see the river, and it's just absolutely stunning. I think I went the first week after it was dedicated, and I was just walking through it like this is going to be so much fun. It's such a perfect blank canvas that you can almost see everything. Like, oh, the 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 hiking trails are pretty much already in there. The idea of a blank canvas has to be so exciting for you. It is, and it is. We're trying to, and we're getting input from the public and and users. What do they want to see? Uh, obviously, like you said, there are trails there now. The Midstate Trail goes through it now. A person can enjoy it right now. But thinking about what developed amenities to uh, to build there to serve people and and bring more people in to see this wonderful amenity. So we'll uh, we're doing public processes and hearing from people uh, to see what they want, see what uh, recreation they feel is needed. Yeah. I filled out the survey. Whenever you good. see, oh, good. whenever you see those online, if you follow, make sure you follow DCNR on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Whenever you see those surveys, take them because you want to know what people want to see, and especially the people that are going to be using this a ton. It's important to have this input from the public to be able to develop things for the future. Yeah, thanks for saying that because uh, we serve the public, and you really uh, can't do that well unless you understand what the public wants. And, and we'll do. We'll be starting another state statewide recreation plan next year and that will include significant public input opportunities on recreation across the commonwealth so yes thank you for making that plug we we can't serve people without hearing from them and uh, we appreciate when people take the time to do that is it difficult to balance land conservation with outdoor recreation it takes well i won't say it's difficult it takes professional work and that's something that um that a lot of people in the public don't really appreciate. Like, we'll be on a trail and they'll think, oh, there's a trail here. Gosh, I wonder how long it's been here. Not not realizing that, that trails take design, work, maintenance, uh, a, lot, a lot of times some volunteer sweat equity. Um, so we're, we're doing a lot of work to go back and, and move trails and secure trails and harden trails so they have less impact on the environment. Some of the past trails we have and amenities that we have were just added on. Like say it's an old logging road and it became a trail. Well, it, it can be washed out. Everyone's seen them, you know, that that you know, that trail that's like three feet down in the landscape, you're on rocks. That's not a sustainable trail. So we're going back and trying to redesign, improve, and, and build them so they don't have an impact on the environment or have less impact on the environment. It takes um a good planning and um Number one, first layer down, we always try to understand the biodiversity. Our, um, our conservation explorer tool, the PNDI, shows other endangered species there, uh, things we need to avoid, like a rattlesnake den. And then um, and then looking at the lay of the land, getting the right uh, slope, and then designing the trail or the amenity. So it just it takes professional uh, judgment and, and time, and we, we have a long way to go. We have to go back and fix some of the... Uh, issues in the past. But if you do it right, um, you can really minimize that impact. The benefit 
of the recreation side of the equation is it really calls for more conservation. <laughs> Uh, we, we like to say recreation is a gateway drug for conservation. People who spend time outdoors, learn about the outdoors, appreciate the outdoors, really want to conserve it, um, but also want more public lands, want more conserved green space. So the two are linked in a positive way, and we just have to manage um, that balance on a site-by-site -site basis. I always say the same thing with outdoor recreation in terms of if you start to fall in love with the outdoors, you're going to become a steward. You're going to want to become an advocate. You're going to want to talk to your senator. You're going to want to reach out and talk to join a hiking club and things like that. The moment you get to see what we have to offer, I feel like you're going to fall in love with it. I think that's, uh, you know, if you talk to people about why they care about uh, nature, why they care about the outdoors, chances are they'll say, well, my dad took me fishing or I liked uh, hiking. Or I fell in love with hiking, and I started to observe and see the birds and the, and the, and the wildlife and the wildflowers. Then I started to think about conserving it. There's a definite uh, pathway there, and uh, yeah, hunter, hunters and fishermen feel the same thing. They get um, they they get to really observe and understand the species that number one that they're hunting, and number two that they're interacting with. So that connection with nature is um, built by time outdoors. One of the biggest issues facing DCNR is deferred maintenance projects, totally more than a billion dollars in our state parks and forests. What kind of projects are not being funded? That's a great question. You know, we have this huge infrastructure system. People don't think of us as buildings, roads, and bridges, but we have uh, 4,700 buildings. We have 3,700 miles of roads. We have hundreds of bridges. We have dams. Um, thankfully, uh, both in the last administration and the most recently, Governor Shapiro put $112 million in our budget for park and forest infrastructure. We are getting to many of the projects I would deem as kind of scary. Uh, we, we had dams with deferred maintenance, and of course, that was a worry. Um, we have uh, really clicked through and repaired and replaced or torn out a lot of dams, but we still have a few, still have a few to go, and there'll be more coming. Um, as far as roads and bridges were just working down through the list. And as far as like the sewer and water systems, we started tackling the most egregious issues uh, to get water and sewer systems fixed up and up to par. But that's a continuing, yeah, we'll move on down the line to less critical ones. So there's, from every category that you can think of, there's still work to be done. And then, of course, as time goes on, it's just like managing any infrastructure, like your own home. You know, that, that roof might be good for 25 years and you might be on year 19. Well, you know you're going to be scheduling that repair. So we have a lot of roofs. You know, have a lot of buildings, have a lot of roofs. So the biggest gain uh, we made on a lot of the buildings, we did a Guaranteed Energy Savings Act program where we invested in lights, uh, building envelope, air leakage, in order to make the buildings more energy efficient, more comfortable for staff and visitors. Uh, so that investment actually improved a lot of buildings and, and really brought them up uh, to modern code. So, you know, it's just little things like, you know, you know, they're not as drafty, but that saves a lot of energy. And then switching out um, LED lights, switching, um, improving motors and systems and pumps. Some of that stuff's not sexy, but uh, it, it saves our bottom line, saves a lot of operating dollars. So every year our bills are less and our buildings are better. But again, that's um, that's a long-term process where we've done the western third of the state, uh, the middle part of the state, 
being worked on and we'll begin work on the eastern part of the state. What's the key to addressing these improvements and projects? Is it simply getting more money from the Commonwealth or is it deeper? It's both. Uh, we, we are getting, getting more money, having a steady supply of money um, so that we can begin, you know, projects have, you know, planning, design in beginnings and ends, but you have to know, like when you do the planning and design, you've got to know the money is going to be there for the project, you know, and, and then costs escalate. So having steady funding is um, important as well as having enough funding. And we uh, we got a big, like I said, big boost in funding this year from the governor. Um, we need to keep up a higher level of funding that we had in the past. Just thinking about any infrastructure, if you're, if you're running your family budget or home budget, you uh, you know you're going to need some money for stuff, you know, as it comes due if you own a house. Same same deal here with uh, you know, for building and infrastructure. We know uh, there's going to be bridges age out, roofs age out, buildings age out. So just having a steady supply of infrastructure dollars. And we'd like to say, um, you know, this does return money to the state coffers. Our projects and state park and forest land are done by local contractors. They're not they're not uh, the the big kind of projects that attract like out of state bidders to bid on our projects, like say my, a big highway project might. Um, so there are local contractors, sometimes small businesses. A lot, we have a lot of small businesses benefit from our work. So that that generates um, economy in and of itself uh, beyond the typical recreation economy of uh, providing for visitors and, and et cetera. So that ongoing regular work is important uh, to the whole community. Every year you have to go before the governor and lawmakers to request money. What's the pitch you make when you're asking for an increase in funding? What do you say to them? I talk about it as a return on investment. Um, recreation brings in you know, 14 billion to the state's economy. That investment uh, pays in droves uh, back to the state coffers. Uh, you know, years ago, we did a study on state parks. And at that time, for every dollar spent on a state park, 10 are returned to the economy. The challenge sometimes I have is having the legislators understand it. No, that money doesn't come back into our budget. It comes back in through the purchases of goods and services and comes back in uh, to the state's economy through things like income tax and sales tax and, and everything else. So uh, at one time I said to a legislator, I wish we could die, die trace the dollars that are the result of um, parks, forests, visitation, trails, and see how it's benefiting the economy. But maybe even more importantly, in the long run, keeping Pennsylvania a place where people want to live, work, and play is critical. We've got to attract and keep young people. If you look at our aging demographic, uh, you, we've got to have young young people in the workforce. And I think that's one of the reasons the governor really embraces our mission. He sees it as one of those positive factors. People choose you know, where they're going to live based on quality of life. And Pennsylvania has um, a great quality of life is due in part to the outdoor recreation that we have. So that, you know, that's hard to quantify in a budget what that value is, but we hear it um, everywhere we go. Someone will have moved back to the little town where their parents are from because they yeah, can tell a work in their job and they want to, they want to be near that trail along the river. They want to be near the parks and the forests in the area. They like our communities. So I just think um, the value to the economy, the value to the quality of life is the main pitch I make.
How do you balance the choice between spending money on to add a new state park or to address deferred maintenance projects? Yeah, managing a budget is one of those uh, annual challenges and looking ahead. When we see um, a new state park opportunity in an area where we have struggled to serve all people, and I'll talk about that uh, again later, I'm sure, but um, there's once in a lifetime opportunities to add to the system. And think, and especially if it's a site that really belongs in the public domain, it's something of you know, if it's something significant, like like Susquehanna Riverlands or like Vosburgh or like Big Elk, where uh, it it belongs in the public domain because it's part of our story in Pennsylvania, it's part of who we are, it's part of our legacy, and and you have a once in a lifetime chance to make it a state park. It's time to jump, even though, yeah, you know that you could spend that money, uh, you know, fixing up, uh, you know like for you know another water system or a road or a bridge but um in terms of serving the public and serving all the public we have to take those leaps when we see the right opportunity and again um with the formula being that they will return like it make those investments in time both both buying the land or, or putting the infrastructure in place and of course you have to maintain it over time but it'll return it'll begin returning the economy as soon as it's functional so again, it'll 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 raise our uh, value and raise the local economy around it. So it'll have value uh, pretty much right away. But again, because we don't see that money coming right back to our coffers, sometimes it's hard to explain that that relationship. We get um, we we find out a, about a lot of um, opportunities to create new parks, and they they range on the scale of gosh, this really should be in the public domain, and, and people would love it. It would serve people too. Um, this, you know, we just can't afford this because we we don't have the budget for it. So, and, and if an area is served by other parks and served well by other amenities, then yeah, you know, we we take a pass on it. I think these three new state parks offer a really good example of what what it can provide the public. You have something like Big Elk Creek, where it's you have this uh, beautiful history and heritage about the Underground Railroad and. And you know the the role it played, and then you look at the Susquehanna Riverlands, and you say, well, the absolute, you know, natural beauty and the views are are really important. And then you also go down to Vosburgh Neck, and you have this really important feature that isn't everywhere in the state. It's something that can only really be found here. So when you kind of add those up, where you go, natural beauty, history, heritage, unique feature, I think that's a good example to show. Yes, we're uh, we might be adding more state parks, but we're adding them for a reason, not just to to do it to do it. You mentioned, yeah, telling you know, the history. Yes, yeah, so, so Big Elk and um, you know, Big Elk and Southwest Riverlands will tell stories that really belong in the public domain uh, that, that we don't have any other place to tell them. And you know, Susquehanna Riverlands right there in the border between New York and Lancaster, uh, where we don't have, uh, especially in Lancaster County side, so don't have a lot of parks, don't have uh, a lot of service to the public and uh, two, you know, some two very fast growing counties of the Commonwealth. In Vosburgh, we never had a park in Wyoming County. And in fact, if you look, you know, Wyoming, Bradford, Susquehanna, that area doesn't have a ton of um, public lands. And so it is serving people who um, don't have that kind of access. Also, they're all fairly uh, short drives from big metro areas. Vosburgh is, is really, if you, if you come up from uh, Wilkesbury, you're, you're in Vosburgh in you know, 30, 40 minutes, probably more like 40 um, Susquehanna Riverlands, a fast-growing counties, and it's actually very close to the Harrisburg Metro in New York, Lancaster, 
and big alka forces in the Philly, Wilmington metro area. What do you think is the biggest issue or issues facing our parks and forests today? Well, I think, um, you know, I think, you know, to take, taking care of the natural environment in the face of climate change, you know, with, with the uh, deluge rain events that we have, um, changes in the uh, weather patterns where you'll have an early spring warm up, um, trees bloom, <laughs> and then frost hits and kills them, kills buds. Um, the, the um, Another climate change driven driven problem is really invasive species. If you talk to our on the ground managers of parks and forestry, they'll say like battling invasive species is a major concern because um, it's so hard to do and it's so overwhelming, and it could it could just suck up all the resources. Um, and then the frustration of um, you know, like say building a trail or building a road. And then having a, a flood event, you know, a deluge event that we we have with climate change, these these really intense rainfall, have have that uh, wash it out or 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 damage it like so so soon after it's been approved is very frustrating. So it's all you know climate change driven uh, issues. Also, um, also driven by climate change are lakes, and the state park lakes is you know they're very valued for swimming in the summer. Um, we, we've had hazardous algae blooms in lakes, and that's a climate change driven issue. Our lakes are filling up. Uh, you know, one of the infrastructure projects we're doing across the system is, is lake dredging to kind of restore the, the lake as a uh, swimming boating lake. Um, we have them on the schedule. That's some of the infrastructure you, know, you, you ask ago, what haven't we gotten to? That is, that is one I should have mentioned. But um, a combined shallow depth with the hot water is creating soupy algae, less appealing conditions in our lake. So that's a big challenge driven by climate change. So they all fit under the bucket of climate change, but the on the ground management is more complex, you know, because of it. And um, we're looking at ways to harden infrastructure so that it's less affected by floods. We're looking at, you know, improving the lakes, you know, dredging the lakes, getting them back, looking at, um, Thinking about, well, uh, you know, thinking about how could we improve the water coming into the lakes, you know, so that uh, they're not getting as, as much in the way of nutrients and looking at even the land around the park, how can we prevent runoff um, and reduce runoff coming into the lakes? I know you've worked hard to address the issues related to climate change and you guys are adopting and implementing best practices. Are there any projects out there that you see that are low-hanging fruit that you guys are taking care of on, on, a, on a daily or weekly, monthly, uh, yearly basis? And then what are the large, you know, big expensive projects? It, would, it, would it be the lake dredging? Yeah, yeah, lake dredging is being expensive and long-term. We're tackling Little Pine next year is one. And we have a, we have a long-term lake dredging plan where the various lakes are are on a plan. And that, of course, that's very disruptive. <laughs> that's a drawdown, a loss of a, a loss of a season or a loss of a partial season. It's, it's kind of a big deal. Um, one project that uh, we're looking forward to at Gifford Pinchot State Park, we're using that as sort of a model green park. We're adding solar and we're doing green infrastructure in the parking area and solar panels over the parking. So this is, uh, we've done uh, solar panels in the parking area at Ryerson Station State Park. It's immensely popular, has a couple of benefits. Number one, it'll help net zero out the uh, park. Number two, it uh, provides shade uh, for cars parking. 
and then we'll uh, also improve the, the runoff characteristics into the lake by adding green infrastructure and uh, swales and uh, you know natural vegetation um, to reduce the runoff in that parking area. We picked Gifford Pinchot not only because uh, it's, a, it's a big important lake and a swimming area that we have problems with uh, pollution, but it also is close to Harrisburg and can provide a demonstration that we can use to show uh, legislators, decision makers, any, anyone who wants to use it as educational, like conferences that come into Harrisburg, perhaps of local government, that uh, this kind of design and, and you know, reducing your energy consumption by adding uh, parking lot solar and um, green, green, green uh, infrastructure design can help uh, any, any, any piece of land that's developed. So we're looking at um, that project as kind of a neat one. Yeah, I think it's important too when we're talking about outdoor recreation or conservation. You know, there's the people that are always going to be with you. There's the people that are like out outdoorsy. Of course, any projects you're doing, we're going to love. Then you have the people that are a little bit more like, well, how is it going to make us money, or how is it going to save us money? And I think the idea of going at it from every different angle is what's going to serve the outdoors best. I think it's to convince everybody by coming at it from every different angle. No, I think you're right. Uh, we're again as a public service agency, we're we serve all Pennsylvanians. We're here to serve all Pennsylvanians. I think one of the biggest um, implicit opportunity is getting new people out and getting new people into the into the family of outdoor recreation of uh, nature. And of course, that uh, can be achieved through a grants program where we're able to support uh, cities and boroughs and, and government, local government, providing close to home recreation. But hoping that that's a continuum where people, once they've uh, gotten interested in trails and decided to hike. Well, then maybe after hiking nearby, they'll decide, hey, I'll go visit a state park and it'll become an outdoor recreation. So in, in, inviting and getting new people into the family is uh, important. And I think that's um, some of our efforts we have underway in our diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging team, trying to reduce the barriers, find opportunities to uh, to bring more people into the fold. Um, and then, and then using the public lands as a demonstration for sustainability, uh, sustainability, uh, getting the Commonwealth uh, to its goals, uh, getting reducing energy consumption, reducing you know flooding, et cetera. It can't be achieved just through the public lands. You know, people have to take these ideas home and uh, use them, whether it's their home, whether it's their business that they might uh, work at or own, whether it's a farm, whether it's a, a parcel of land, whether it's some church you're involved with or whatever, you can take these ideas and use them on any any landscape. So we try to provide the model that people will then use. One of the most important actions of your tenure has been the creation of the Pennsylvania Outdoor Corps. Why is that a priority for you? Well, we um, we recognize the need to keep a, a pipeline of workforce coming. And we also recognize the need to have that workforce be more diverse. So we brainstormed the idea of the Pennsylvania Outdoor Corps. We worked with labor and industry, which provides a good bit of the funding, some of the funding. And then we developed a program and do it through a contract with Student Conservation Association who does this across the country. And these each crews of young people, uh, we have both youth crews that work in the summer, 15 to 18 year olds, and then adult crews who work pretty much year round, 18 to 25 year olds. They get uh, direct workforce experience, uh, the soft skills, you know, showing up, uh, looking people in the eye, communicating well, communicating as a team, leadership skills. Um, 
certification from various things that, that we train them on. And then they get hands-on work in the outdoors and parks and forests. And they, they um, it's, it's busted that myth about young people not working hard. Uh, these young people work very hard and they're very motivated and they, um, they communicate well. And one of, you know, you asked some of my best days, I should have mentioned, like when I work, when I'm outside working with the Outdoor Corps at a project, I really love that. It's interesting how, um, how committed uh, these folks are to the work. And of course, it's, it's great for uh, our mission because they're improving trails and bridges, they're removing invasive species, they're improving the infrastructure and getting hands-on experience. So uh, some, of, some of these uh, people go on to apply for jobs and get jobs in DCNR. And uh, the good news about that is uh, they know they want this kind of work, they've had experience. And, and we've gotten to know them. And so it takes a little of the mystery out for us of hiring. We know we're getting people who, who are committed and really, really want to do this. And um, some of them obviously do not choose uh, work with us, but, but the, work, the work skills they gain, like showing up on time, working with a team, communicating, um, those, those tools are valuable wherever they go. And um, they get they get it in this team environment. So it's just been really a valuable program and project. I would say a lot of our um, my exec team at DCNR would say that's yeah, one of their favorite things is uh, the outdoor core. In 2023, the Pennsylvania Office of Outdoor Recreation was created. Why was this an important step for DCNR to take, and how do you see it helping Pennsylvanians? Well, Pennsylvania is a, a big state in the outdoor recreation economy. We're sixth in the nation. We, we're an outdoor state. You know, we hike, we bike, we fish, we canoe, we hunt. Um, and it just made sense that Pennsylvania joined the states that have organized our efforts. So an outdoor, creating an outdoor office, hiring uh, Dr. Nathan Rigdor was a great first step to kind of convene and understand the connection to the outdoor businesses. Um, help organize and think about how to support those outdoor businesses, help connect them, uh, and help help build the understanding of the recreation amenities of what's needed on that end, the stewardship, the sustainability, um, and then build on that. If you think about, say, the agricultural industry, uh, when you say ag industry, everyone knows what that is. I mean, people see the feed stores, equipment stores, the, uh, the tractors, the place you buy tractors and equipment, the place you get it repaired, all this all the support for the ag economy for obvious reasons we all need to eat. But um, we don't have an organized cohesive support for the recreation industry. And yet it's big and it's, it's varied and understanding it, uh, connecting it uh, to, to the work, building a support for it uh, and then building a support for providers like DCNR and, and local governments and others to understand and really have uh, the science behind the needs and emerging needs and the best practices on how to meet them sustainably. So it's been a, um, it's been a big plus for all sectors and it'll continue to grow in its depth. We have approval to hire two more people under Dr. Rigner and that will help um, build out the outdoor rec office and yield the results we're looking for. The, uh, the program's got a, a launching a grant program for small recreation businesses to help them um, get the support they need. A lot of times those startups 
don't get support. They don't. They they had not been on the radar screen in the way other businesses are, and yet uh, they're they're important in that matrix of providers for the public lands. Uh, a lot of people want, want to experience public lands, want to experience recreation, don't have the, the knowledge or the equipment, and uh, the outdoor recreation providers are key to that. And when Nathan was on this program, he spoke about his statewide tour they did, which I think was so great and so important to just be able to say, this is what we want to do, and this is how we can help. Uh, you know, there's so many different ways to come at a issue. And so when when Nathan can come out and say that we're we have billions and billions of dollars on the table that we can harness and help businesses and help our economy, help individuals, I think it's it becomes undeniable at that point. It, it really does, and it becomes uh, and it's something that uh, is an emerging understanding of how important it is. You see, you see news stories like almost every day about growing understanding of how important this industry really is. And of course, that in turn helps. And you say, when, you know, what do I say when I make an ask to the legislature for our funding to really frame it that way? We're supporting a, a big economy and a lot of outdoor recreation businesses. Uh, this is not just a government thing. It's, this is really essential to our economy and our future. Most outdoor recreationists want money spent on their hobbies that they enjoy. More hiking trails, more fishing docks, and so on. How does the department make sure money is being spent equitably across many different areas and many different activities. You know, I guess it's a good thing that there's so much competition for our grants and our, our attention, but it is a challenge and that is a uh, something we continue to refine and grow and how we do that. Um, we, uh, the state park system was sort of laid out as a park within 25 miles of every Pennsylvania. And of course, in today's world, uh, 25 miles is far away for a lot of people. Our grants program uh, set a goal of a park and a trail within 10 minutes of every Pennsylvanian. And that's that's a that's a great goal and we're working on that, but that doesn't even tell the whole story. As you dig down um, a couple more layers, we hired the Trust for Public Land to do layered analysis and mapping on uh, showing the communities of need where the community doesn't have the funding to make the investment, the co-investment, with us. So now we have uh, additional layers showing the communities of need. And uh, a lot of meeting that need is, is really going to take us and our partners spending time to understand the obstacles. And sometimes they're physical, sometimes it's as simple as like a highway that cuts off access from a neighborhood to a river or a trail. Sometimes it's social. You know, there just has never been a, a habit or a tradition of people in that community, like using that trail or using that park. So achieving equitability is a journey. You know, it's something that we're uh, working on. We we have a grant equity uh, group working on that. On the on the on the urban buffer program, we 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 plant uh, tree buffers uh, in rural areas. We plant urban forests in the, the more suburban and urban places. We hired a tree equity specialist, and we're working with our partners and our municipalities and cities on on, uh, on on street trees, on shading trees to kind of cool down the urban areas. So the, uh, the distributing equitably and, and especially adding equity is a, a long-term journey, which we're you know, doubling down on to really improve. But in terms of um, equitably, like, like in terms of making these investments, we have a couple of tools in place and the Keystone Fund 
we, we have a dividing you know, between park and forest infrastructure and grants, and then with a grant program, they divide by region, and, and the regional reps then take it out and try to apply some of these other principles. And the um, state park system is divided by four regions that get a budget. So we try to spread it out so that the whole Commonwealth is served. Um, and again, some of the more finer points of that are things we're still working on. You served as secretary through the pandemic. That had to be a very interesting experience going from the normal attendance that you would see to all of a sudden nobody's allowed to travel, nobody's allowed to leave the country, and then everyone goes, oh, there's state parks here. I guess we'll go to those. And then the the amount of visitors exploded. What was that like for you to have to deal with as a department head? But also, what was that like for somebody who enjoys the outdoors and to see people discovering the outdoors? Yeah, you're right. It was a challenging time. So the first... Um... The, the first early days of that mid-March where it was, you know, everyone, you know, work from home, everyone stay home, you know, and buildings are closed. Um, and so, so it was hard to get guidance. I mean, the Center for Disease Control, uh, you know, our own health, we're trying to get a handle on, you know, this is very contagious disease that was killing people, but what does it take to keep them safe? So, um, yeah, you know, we had a couple of weeks we're trying to figure out what what can we do. And so for a while, you know, the bathrooms were closed, the buildings were closed, and the buildings weren't allowed to be open. But we uh, had to have staff on site because people were allowed on the public lands. We decided the public lands had to be the outlet for people. Um, and people came in droves. Uh, and be because of you know, the, the chaotic way things were then, at first, you know, Garbage wasn't being handled well. People were just leaving trash and, and such. Eventually, as um, the guidance became clear and we were allowed to get people back in and we're allowed to have buildings like restrooms open, finally, the Center for Disease Control said, if you have a park open, you should have a restroom open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is sort of logical, but but the guidance before had been, you know, stay out of the building. So, yeah, so then it's like just trying to get people to spread out and not crowd into the restrooms and building. So as the, as the pandemic uh, progressed, uh, people came out in, in, in more and more droves. And then we had uh, we had parks filling up and closing and we had to like quickly adjust and, and try to find other areas. So a good example of that, you know, Beltsville and Carbon County uh, was one of the first to fill up many times with lines of people. I mean, just coming in uh, from uh, like Allentown, Bethlehem, Philly, uh, New Jersey, New York, um, and have to close the gates, which was chaotic because it was full. And then they're looking for other places on the internet, a place called the Tubs. It was a, uh, it's a, it's a stream <laughs> in a gorge near Wilkesbury. It's beautiful. It's on forest land, it's not even a state park. And people were showing up there by the hundreds and parking along a busy road. Wow. And so we have since, I mean, I just, I was just up there uh, two weeks ago. We have since improved the parking lot, added a bathroom, but it was, it's a part of the state forest system. It was never designed like a state park. And, and now we're adapting and making that available to people because now people have discovered the tubs. Uh, we were challenging our staff um, in forestry and in parks like where where can people go that you know we've got to find some more places additional places because because without that people were finding them themselves on the internet so so it's better to try to direct people someplace that's a little safer a little better spread it spread, spread people out for their own safety with covid spread people out so the sustainability of the land that doesn't get uh, as trampled and ruined so it was it was quite challenging we um 
yeah, the management team was on the phone daily for a while and then and then weekly just just managing things as they came up and making decisions sometimes um you know we, we, were, we were kind of in the wilderness on the decisions sometimes we just had to make our best decision but um with with input from you know kind of gather the leader's uh knowledge and opinion and and make a call um but the good side of it, uh, the silver lining area, is people really reconnected with nature and the outdoors. I think it's um, their their physical health, their mental health, and some of the factors like being frowded into a home with you know people attending school from home, telework from home, people crammed into spaces just dying to get outside, uh, seeing other people in a safe way outside with clean air. You can you know see people, but they might be in a trail or in a park, but you're you're at least around people again. And we are a social animal after all. Yeah. I just think um evolutionarily, I mean, we've evolved as a species in the outdoors. And um, you know, nature is our safe space. Nature is where we're we're essentially comfortable and where we gain comfort. And I just think uh, you know, people gaining comfort from the outdoors and being in nature. You know, for the mental health, physical health, and, and well-being, and you know, just to spread out and breathe clean air, and uh, you know, we all got so tired of the mask. You know, just to be able to breathe the air and walk was just uh, the best thing. I know, you know, it, when when I could get a break from from managing the public lands uh, in this in this pandemic, uh, you know, I would certainly myself get out there a lot. Oh, and then the other thing we're trying to do is DCNRs work with our partners. So our land trust partners or, or recreation agencies, the you know, county parks, township parks, they were all looking for the same answers and looking to us. We were looking to CDC and Department of Health. So we're all trying to work together. Like what's, what's the best thing? What's the safest thing? What, what's gonna serve people? Um, it, was, uh, it was quite a journey, you know, it's, it's, but emerging from that now, uh, there's a greater understanding of the value of the outdoors and recreation as something that's essential. It, it moved in people's column from nice to have to essential. And even, even during the pandemic, when, um, when that stay at home order came in, it, it was, um, if you read it, it said, uh, you know, you can leave your house to get groceries and uh, pharmaceuticals. And the third thing was you can get outside and take a walk. <laughs> and so it was listed as essential, and uh, it certainly was what people did. I mean, it was it was uh, it was great that uh, the outdoors could serve at that time when people needed us most, and that interest has continued, which is great. And it got a lot of people back into the outdoors. People, yeah, renewed interest in camping, and the renewed interest in camping has stayed high. Our campground reservations have stayed high. Visitation has stayed higher than it was before the pandemic. Um, People taking up new outdoor recreation pursuits, people re-engaging who may have stopped camping or may have stopped hiking or picnicking in a park or going back to it. So it's it's great. It's um it's something that'll will be with us now and, and and different in the way people look at it. What sort of park and forest projects are you looking forward to most in 2024? Well, the uh, I mentioned the Tubbs project that'll be finished. I was up to the site. It's almost finished. So that'll be finished. Uh, early next year, um, an environmental project at the Shikalimi Dam um, is a fish ladder. And what's, what's exciting about that is it's a, a, a natural fish ladder. We, we, got, we sent people up to Maine to look at one and we uh, 
an engineering firm to design a, a natural fish ladder because our dam um, at Shikalimi blocks migration, blocks fish migration. So that that one's going to be exciting. Uh, the Susquehanna, of course, is uh, the biggest river, one of the largest rivers in the east, and, and keeping it keeping it open for fish migration is important. So it's an environmental project, and it's it's kind of going to create a cool space, a much improved uh, end of that dam for the for local use and people just visiting. Um, Benton Hill is a um, was a park. It was just skiing. You probably when you went there to see it. It's boarded up right now, so we're we're beginning the Denton project. It's going to be a four season recreation center. Um, there'll be a, a ski element, but um, like there'll be a lift that'll also be used to haul bikes up to the top to get on a bike trail. It's near um, the ATV trail system up in the Susquehanna Forest District. So Denton, uh, the plans for Denton will start to really unfold and. Get, get going on that. Uh, there's a campground up at Pima Tuning. Pima Tuning is an immense lake, as you know. It's this huge, um, and it. Um, we had uh, closed the campground back in uh, the early 2000s, and, and that campground construction finished. Tunnel campground will be open. That's kind of neat, and it'll have uh, a lot of nice features. I mentioned the Gifford Pinchot Sustainability Project. That'll be done, and um, we'll be able to start taking people to see that. That's, you know, at the Quaker race, the day use, that's kind of neat. Um, well, restoring the Ironmaster's Mansion at, you know, at Kittleworth, you know, right, right there by the Susquehanna Riverlands, that restoration is underway. Even as the rest of the park's being planned, we're putting the restoration of that on a fast track because it's one of the historical sites that'll be featured for America 250. Um, we'll do, doing a couple of lake dredgings. Again, they're not sexy, but they're important. Um, so anyway, a lot, a lot of projects. And then on the grant side, um, we're really focused on closing trail gaps. I was um, you know, out to uh, the announcement of, of our grants for the governor. We were standing on the South Bethlehem Greenway and and that uh, connector will will be really interesting. It'll connect to the South and Valley Trail, which will really connect down to Hellerton, which will really um, important for the community. It's a community that hasn't enjoyed those kind of amenities. So that's, um, you know, on the grant side, there's just so many um, cool projects of uh, local parks and trail connectors. Um, anyway, we're good things happening around the state. That's the uh, the nice thing about um, our program. There's, there's grants across the Commonwealth and good things happening everywhere and, and projects sprinkled across the Commonwealth. Yeah, the sheer variety is is pretty stunning, and it's just because you have all the buildings, you have all the history, you have all the trails and the land. It 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 crosses every single sort of checklist you could hope for uh, in Absolutely. terms of things that are available. Yeah, yeah, and in terms of like getting stuff off the worry list, the the, the, the dam project at Morrow Lake will be underway. You know, this, again, we've we've made huge progress on the unsafe dams, and so we continue to click them off. And Memorial Lake is up. Uh, this is coming up to the forefront. Do you ever think about your legacy at DCNR? Well, it's, it's funny. Um, <laughs> generally, too busy to think much about that. <laughs> um, kind, kind, kind of uh, just, just moving forward. Um, but you know, it, it would certainly be something I would want want the agency as people uh, to be to be better better suited for sustainability. I mean, sustainability of mission, sustainability of climate, sustainability of 
the human uh, service side, et cetera. And so strengthening and building um, our operations in every way possible is important. I just think uh, our, our mission is, is so geographically widespread and so diverse in its delivery. Um, I think it'd be a mistake like to pick one thing and say, this is it, this is one thing. It's, it's more strengthening our, our work so that we serve all Pennsylvanians. And I know that's a journey, but um, I think really working on that journey and, and, and getting farther down that road is really important. And serving all Pennsylvanians, I know that's something we don't meet right now. Um, it's, it's something we're focused on. It's, it's in the Constitution. We're not reaching all Pennsylvanians, and we're trying hard. So I think uh, doubling down on that and uh, serving serving all Pennsylvanians, both because of sustainability, climate, and direct access to recreation um, would be a legacy. And not, and not just mine, it's just it's a team legacy. It's actually kind of good to know that there's no ultimate goal. Like there's something in your head that goes, well, when we hit this, I'm, uh, this is when I feel like I know I've really done it. When we hit, you know, 250 state parks or anything like that. It's good to know that it, it crosses so many different areas that there's no one thing. No one thing. It's also like the, the, the human resource side of it is just as important having Having a motivated, trained uh, staff showing up. That's why the outdoor course is so important. And the pipeline for staff. None of this happens without good, knowledgeable, committed staff. And so focusing on that and, and keeping that pipeline of, uh, of staff coming in uh, who are taking the place of those who retire. And that's, that's a challenge, actually. I mean, we have our people... Many of them are really uniquely qualified for their job and have deep, deep, deeply rooted knowledge in the area they're in. And and when we lose some people, they're actually hard to replace. So just keeping that pipeline of skill and talent um, and motivation going is important part of the legacy as well. So just you know, just leaving leaving it better than I found it. I guess the old Girl Scout motto would be a good one. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things I most appreciate about you is I've been able to attend a number of events where you you've been there. You are the last person to leave almost every single time I go somewhere. If it's a press event for DCNR, if it's something with the Parks Foundation, you're out shaking hands and introducing yourself to people or uh, asking people questions, genuinely interested in what they have to say. So the fact that you pay so much attention and, and care so much, it comes across in every single meeting uh, I've ever had with you, but every single meeting I think everyone has with you. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate that. That um, Yes, yeah, it's, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't think about that, but... Our uh, our work's delivered through the hands of other other people, whether they're partners or whether we're serving citizens or whether they're helping us, and understanding them and, and being out and about is a kind of rare opportunity to have a window into what people are thinking in a certain area, a certain community. They don't want to lose that opportunity by. Um, I hate it too. I hate when I have to jump in a car and zoom off. Sometimes I have to because the next thing is is far enough away. I hate that because I'm curious about uh, people. It's interesting and um, it's inspiring to hear people talk about the place they love and to hear what something means to them uh, because that adds a lot of depth to the work. When you when you run into somebody who, who cares so much about that trail connector, cares so much about that park and they tell you the story of how their parents met at that park. So their very existence, you know, depended on that park because if their parents hadn't met, they wouldn't exist. So um, that adds a dimension to the work that I find to be very enriching. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of people, you know, I'm I'm sure, you know, uh, 
department heads really love their bridges or really love this little section of what they care about. But I love so much, uh, and the th- one of the things I appreciate so much about you is you can tell how much you care about our parks and force every single time you meet. It's never it's never a well we're you know we're doing this project we're doing this. You're always so excited to talk about what you guys are doing, and you always want to highlight your team. And I think that shows what an incredible leader you are and how absolutely fortunate we are to have you serving this Commonwealth. Oh, wow. thank you. I'm very touched by that. I really, really appreciate that and uh, appreciate the uh, the voice you give to the value of our parks and forests and reaching people because that helps us directly with our mission. You know, we, we can't reach uh, everybody and uh, people like you reach a lot of people. So that's exciting for us to have that avenue and then um, to do what you do and, and actually go out there yourself and then be able to talk about that experience directly you know that's going to motivate uh, some people to discover this um, great thing that we you know we know about that's you know, the state park system. So um, appreciate the voice that that you give it and um, and what you're able to do for us in attracting people to to appreciate and engage in what they have as Pennsylvanians. How would you like to be remembered when you're done serving as secretary? Uh, I think just as a good public servant, you know, just as uh, someone who served and uh, was a good public servant. Because that actually is um, a high calling. If people understand it, um, it, it, it sounds like, it doesn't sound like a, a lofty thing, but, um, but it really really is a high calling to be a true public servant. And, um, and, and so in doing so, like, and trying to be a good public servant, then you, you want to motivate others to be a good public servant or appreciate public servants, you know, appreciate the public servants in their lives. So I think just a good public servant would be would be fine. I've always said uh, a life in service is a life well led. It is. And that's a, that's a much more eloquent way to put it. Um, you know, think about my father, who was a uh, civil engineer for the state. And yeah, people don't appreciate the work, you know, the work of the people whose heads are down doing the work, designing things, building things. They, don't, they never meet the person who designs something that helps them. I'll get teary here. My dad was a true public servant. And that's all I want to be. Sorry, thinking about my dad. Not my dad got me going there. Secretary, I just want to thank you so much for being able to talk to me today, and I also want to thank you so much for your incredible work with this Commonwealth. You inspire a lot of us out there that care about the outdoors, hopefully to uh, care about them as much as you do. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for giving me the time, and I, I hope people um, take advantage of uh, the outdoors, hope they get out there this winter and uh, have a uh, great 2024 in the outdoors, learn new things, get out there, explore, discover a few new state parks, a uh, new trail, and then maybe even volunteer and help out. I want to thank my guest, Secretary Cindy Adams Dunn, for joining the podcast. She graciously gave her time to share her knowledge, experience, and passion for the outdoors with all of us. Well, that's the end of the first season. But before we end this episode, I have some people I'd like to thank. First and foremost, I want to thank my incredible wife, Abby, not only for her support and suggestions, but also for listening to me talk about this podcast without a break for over a year. You're the best wife a man could ask for and the best adventure buddy anyone could have. I also want to thank my mom and dad for their continued encouragement and support. Thank you so much. You're the best. Thank you to Sean Connolly for your mentorship and for inspiring me to start this podcast. Thank you to Wes Robinson with the Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources for answering my many emails and booking guests for the podcast. 
Thank you to Marcy Mowry, Pam Metzger, and Tasha Ferris from the Pennsylvania Parks and Forest Foundation. Thank you to Brooke Lenker and Holly Tritt from the Keystone Trails Association. Thank you to Matt Davis for designing the podcast branding, including the logo that I use on social media and in merch. Thank you to my uncle John Sauer for composing, performing, and recording all of our podcast music. Thank you to Kristen Markle for designing the marketing material I use for merch, posters, thank yous, and more. Thank you to James Robinson for his incredible photography that we use for merch, and thanks for coming up with the name of the podcast. Thank you to Darren Potts for helping me with the production of our promotional materials and merch. Thank you to my family and friends for listening to and supporting the podcast. Thank you to all of our guests who have come on the podcast and shared their passion for the outdoors with all of us. And finally, thank you to you. I had no idea if anyone would listen to this podcast. I hoped it would find an audience of people that loved Pennsylvania's parks, forests, and great outdoors, and it did. Thousands of you have listened to this podcast. You shared posts on social media, you've given ratings, you've suggested it to friends, you've purchased merch, and you've helped build a great community of listeners. Thank you for your support, encouragement, and friendship. I hope we can build this community even bigger by inspiring people to visit Pennsylvania's public lands and becoming lifelong stewards of them. As John Muir once said, one touch of nature makes the whole world kin. That's it first season's over be sure to follow us on instagram and facebook for more information about upcoming episodes you can support the podcast by buying merch or donating on our website we kick off our first episode of the second season on january 3rd 2024 i hope you'll join us again this has been hemlocks to hellbenders i'll see you out there hosting production and editing by christian alexanderson music by john sauer graphics by uncle traveling matt's random expedition